We all remember the day that New York suffered the worst terrorist attack in its history. July 30th, 1916, when German secret agents attacked a U.S. military munitions deposit on Black Tom Island in New York Harbor, blowing up a storage ground full of explosives and TNT, creating an explosion that was so big it could be heard from 100 miles away from Philadelphia to New Haven. As many as 50 people died, windows were broken all throughout Manhattan and Jersey, there was damage to the Statue of Liberty. This was the only attack by a foreign power against New York City since the Revolutionary War, the largest act of terrorism on American soil ever up until that time. An explosion so big that it was never forgotten. Oh, right. Well, well, this time we really mean it. We're never going to forget 9-11, right? Okay? Everybody? Never forget? Oh, it's so hard to remember. Welcome to Never Forget Radio, where, from the comfort of your own home or your device, and from the safety of the future... We can revisit the memory of 9-11, of George W. Bush, and of all the years associated with both since. It's been over a decade of disappointment, failure, and disaster. I'm no expert, but I'll be your host as we explore our recent past and try to reclaim it. Let's roll. Welcome to part two of Empty Sky Rising, a series from Never Forget Radio that examines 9-11 memorials from around the region and the country. And welcome also to what is now Liberty State Park in Jersey City, New Jersey, overlooking Manhattan, the harbor, and the Statue of Liberty, where the Black Tom explosion occurred in 1916 and where it's memorialized today by an informative plaque which is maintained by the National Park Service. In the northeast part of the park, directly across the Hudson from Lower Manhattan, is the site of the Empty Sky Memorial. New Jersey's official tribute to 9-11 consists of two rectangular steel forms proportional to the old World Trade Center towers, 30 feet high and 208 feet long, which are set at a slight angle to each other so that the space between them narrows and tapers, forming a beckoning tunnel. Inside are inscribed the names of the state's 746 victims. If you stand at the entrance to this memorial, you're immediately reminded of the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center. And if you enter it, you'll find yourself in a tunnel which directs your gaze and points it longingly towards the titular patch of empty sky. Blue and cloudless, serene and sacral, hovering over ground zero. What's unusual about this design by architect Frederick Schwartz is that the two steel forms represent the World Trade Center towers, but they're presented as though they'd fallen on their sides. Everyone has very specific memories that stand out from 9-11. And this memorial brings me right back to the moment I heard that the towers had fallen. It was only the fourth day of school. There were a few cell phones. We all started hearing and I suppose telling rumors about what was going on. And I remember hearing that they'd fallen and asking the kid who told me, fallen how, down or to the side? I was only told that they had fallen, and in my imagination I immediately pictured them falling sideways. 
This momentary image of the towers toppling sideways and taking down an entire neighborhood with them was so insane that the actual footage of their descent was such relief when I saw it on television because I interpreted it as the best case scenario for what could have happened. In my imagination, the tragedy was much larger. And it's fair to ask if people's perceptions, subsequent continued reactions to 9-11, are due more to those initial feelings and not to anything afterwards. From the title, Empty Sky, you might expect the memorial to be about the tower's absence. But because it depicts them as though they were on their sides, it emphasizes their tangible fallenness and depicts an imagined collective memory of a worst-case scenario that luckily didn't happen. Far from passively memorializing, this design dredges up the horrific realities and associations of the day, translating them into a permanent image. And then it invites you inside. Once you enter, the structure blinders you and directs your gaze towards the place where the towers were, the empty sky. But the memorial's 30-foot walls have the additional effect of framing out the sites that fill the sky around Liberty State Park, many of which have extreme historical and cultural importance. Once you're inside this memorial, you can't see Ellis Island, the Black Tom Memorial, a nearby Holocaust memorial, or the modernist bridges that bind the New York area, or most of Manhattan, the Empire State Building, or Brooklyn, or the Statue of Liberty. The Empty Sky Memorial empties the sky of all other sites, except for the one you're supposed to be remembering. And so, like a tunnel vision memory of the attacks... It funnels and restricts your vision as though to elevate its tragedy's importance over all the rest of history. Indeed, September 11th was officially and culturally proposed right from the beginning as an event outside time or reason, on an unmatched level of intensity and importance. It literally directs your focus towards a single point while allowing for no outside views. Despite its title, it does a very poor job of directing our gaze towards the empty sky. Because if you follow where the memorial directs you to look, all you'll find is that the sky is full with the new Freedom Tower glowering over Ground Zero. Beyond the physical form of the memorial, the title also associates it with the song Empty Sky by Bruce Springsteen. That sounds silly until you realize that the same architect, Frederick Schwartz, also designed and named another 9-11 memorial, The Rising in Westchester, New York, after a song, The Rising, which can be heard along with Empty Sky on Bruce Springsteen's 2002 album, The Rising. I hope to dedicate an entire episode to Bruce Springsteen in this album eventually, but for now, here's the song, Empty Sky. Bruce's songs on the rising are powerful statements from an immediate perspective and reflect the initial feelings that many people had, including those of biblical vengeance. I want an eye for an eye. 
we all can remember people vocalizing this sort of reaction. Feelings are important. Too often they're not valued at all. People's feelings are real and valid, especially those who are victims or survivors or relatives of victims. And it's good that they were valued in art and memorial. The problem is that these collective initial reactions were made without any consideration of context, scope, or scale, and were made in the understandable grip of extreme fear. While initial feelings are valuable and real, the hope is that their violence can be tempered by subsequent understanding. But instead, the initial angry and traumatic responses were overprivileged and over-relied on and were used to lead the country to war. It's understandable that survivors might never have gotten over the event and might still feel the same strong things that they felt that day. But it's unacceptable and irresponsible for the state to have and to continue to base its policies on those initial reactions. Outside of fiction or the immediate aftermath of loss, revenge is not a defensible or even a sane position. And this immediacy of feeling is the subtext of almost all of the hundreds of memorials to 9-11. The annual ceremonies that are held at them are couched in the language of healing and respect for the victims and survivors, but they're also resummonings of these charged, violent initial feelings which are then turned towards patriotic, militaristic, and cynically political uses. By choosing this tunnel vision design and this referential title, Empty Sky, it's as though the state is enshrining the call, I want an eye for an eye, into their official and permanent memorialization, as though they're building an edifice to vengeance, to military vigilance, and to retaliatory violence. But as much as any one generation, the mythologizers of any one tragedy, or the memorializers of the moment might attempt to fix their single meanings permanently into the future, we should know that to any event our initial reaction, or at least our subsequent memorialization, should include the knowledge of future irrelevance. That awareness of the future is totally missing from the Never Forget concept, and from almost every one of these hundreds of memorials. After a century, we can be sure that memorials which are intended as monuments to memory will become monuments to collective forgetting. Like the plaque in Liberty State Park honoring the Black Tom disaster or the thousands of World War I memorials in municipalities across America, physical tributes to 9-11 will remain, but they'll be largely forgotten and ignored. And Bruce Springsteen will be about as remembered as popular songwriters from 1916. But we can also be sure that the legacies of fear and repression that are left by the initial reactions to these disastrous events will remain in the form of legislation and policy. For example, the Black Tom explosion of 1916 contributed to America's first culture of fear of terrorism. And once the U.S. had entered World War I, Congress passed the Espionage Act, a broad and invasive law under which hundreds of radicals were imprisoned for their political beliefs, like socialist political candidate Eugene Debs, or deported like anarchist feminist Emma Goldman. The Espionage Act was passed in a chaotic post-terrorist attack period of fear, and while things might have returned to normalcy later, the act never went off the books, and it's actually the law under which Private Manning and Edward Snowden were charged. So the Black Tom explosion has been forgotten by most, but its legacy endures. In a hundred years, all of these 9-11 memorials might be largely forgotten, 
but it's likely that the security state apparatus and the laws passed under the influence of the initial feelings after the attack will remain. And that's why ultimately this project is called Never Forget Radio, because it attempts to undermine the false sense of permanent memorialization that is spread by official memorializers, while imploring us to actually remember the things that matter. Not just the 9-11 attacks, but the disastrous policies, actions, and repressions that followed afterwards that we still live with today, and that we'll likely live with long after the memorials and tragedy are forgotten. Never Forget Radio is a production of Bookstyle Publications currently located in West Philadelphia. Music for this episode was created by Cave Cricket and Old Table. The Bruce Springsteen songs were used non-commercially under the doctrine of fair use and with a tremendous amount of affection. Please send your recollections of where you were and what you were doing when you heard about the explosion in New York Harbor to Never Forget Radio on Facebook, Gmail, or Tumblr, or Never Forget Pod on Twitter. All of our episodes can be downloaded for free. If you'd like to support this project, please feel free to donate any amount. Today's quote is from Emma Goldman's speech to her jury in 1919, just before they found her guilty under the Espionage Act and deported her out of the country. How is the world to take America seriously when democracy at home is daily being outraged, free speech suppressed, peaceable assemblies broken up by overbearing and brutal gangsters in uniform, when free press is curtailed and every independent opinion gagged? Verily, poor as we are in democracy... How can we give of it to the world? We further say that a democracy conceived in the military servitude of the masses, in their economic enslavement, and nurtured in their tears and blood is not a democracy at all. Thank you, and never forget.